Hi, Larry. Good to have you on the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me. Let's have some fun. <laughs> so for everybody who doesn't know you, who doesn't know what you do, uh, please tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, my gosh. I <laughs> <laughs> mean... Besides being a schizophrenic entrepreneur, besides that, <laughs> yeah, besides well, listen, listen, I am just a guy who's, you know, stumbling through life sometimes trying to make an impact on the world through entrepreneurship and leadership. I just feel really blessed that I've had a lot of uh, crazy successes in my life, but more importantly, I've had a lot of failures, lots, I mean, from being, you know, born on the wrong side of the tracks and barely graduating high school, uh, just making lots of mistakes, brushes with the law and all kinds of other things. <laughs> but um, I continue to try to put one dusty, bloody boot in front of the other and make a positive impact. Um, I have got two amazing teenage children, a daughter and a son who keep me grounded and uh, remind me about the important things in life. Um, but I'm really kind of committed to growing my hotel company. I've got a company called uh, Broughton Hotels, where we uh, manage, operate, and own boutique hotels across the U.S. Um, and uh, I just try to have fun in life, in spite of all the challenges that get thrown our way. I'm pretty transparent, so whatever you or your viewers and listeners want to talk about, I'm open. <laughs> I'm open to it because I really feel like more entrepreneurs, more leaders need to talk about the struggles in life and not just the successes in life. Because particularly, I think with the advent, not that you're doing this, but there are a lot of podcasts and social media platforms out there. And all they focus on is this kind of fake, um, I don't know, um, glossy life when the truth is. Everything's perfect. Like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Life nice not cars, nice houses, yeah. yeah. Look at my watch, my fancy <laughs> car. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I would rather live a life of authenticity and transparency. And uh, the people that I'm supposed to connect with, I will. The people who I don't resonate with, they'll resonate with someone else. So I don't take it personally anymore. <laughs> awesome, Larry. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Well, so um, before we talk about like Broughton Hotels, entrepreneurship, your advice for young entrepreneurs and, and yeah, entrepreneurs of all age, um, could you please tell us a little bit about your childhood, how you grew up and yeah, just share your life story a bit with us. Sure. It's very interesting. You should ask that. I've got a son who for his final project, and he's uh, transitioning into high school here in a couple of weeks. Um, he, so that's a grade eight into grade nine uh, here in the US. Um, he has to write what's called a living obituary. He has to go out and interview someone and then talk about their life. And so he did that with me the other day. And that was one of the first questions. <laughs> Tell me about your, your, your childhood. And he knows a lot about it, but there were some things I shared with him that he kind of um, was um, very interested in. Well, I grew, I grew up in a very small mill town in rural New York, New York state. When people around the world think New York, they think New York city and they think about all the millions of people. Well, I grew up in an area of the state where it's a lot of dairy cows and apple orchards. And it was very small, uh, very small town, um, very bucolic, beautiful. Um, 
but very wooded. And so I had a twin brother and we were, you know, we'd hang out together. And our big things when I was a kid is, you know, we'd have a group of eight or 10 kids and we'd ride bicycles and go explore from the time the sun came up till the sun went down. Um, but I was a pretty small kid uh, back then and I was very shy. And uh, once in a while I'd get pushed around and bullied or get beat up in a fight. And, um, and I did not like that. <laughs> um, I'm much, I'm much bigger. I'm a little more intimidating now. Puberty came late in my life, but I'm one of these people as I've gotten older, I've realized that we all need that kind of struggle. And in fact, I think that particularly here in the, the U S and I think across the, what would be considered Western, uh, countries, a lot of men have handed over that, um, mantle of responsibility to other people. And I think by getting pushed around and getting beat up once in a while and getting in a fight and beating someone else up, it's not a bad thing. You know, I think it builds courage. And I think courage is one of the things that's lacking in life and in leadership and in entrepreneurship right now. And so, um, so my, I generally had a really good childhood. Um, you know, I wouldn't say it was the best family life growing up. My father was a World War II veteran. And so that generation, you know, didn't communicate very effectively with their their children. They were all carrying the burdens of, you know, the emotional burdens of war that we all know about nowadays that we didn't really understand back then. But they did the best they could. What it did do for me is open up my eyes to how life could be. You know, I know that there's something bigger out there for me than this. And so I got into martial arts at a young age and my twin brother and I traveled around doing different uh, martial arts tournaments. And it was then in my late teens that I realized um, I, there might be something to this martial arts thing and um, and maybe I can make a career out of it. Um, I ended up not doing that. He did. He's an amazing martial artist and still does it to this, this day. But it was during those travels that I got exposed to the possibility of entering the military um, and doing some great things there. So that's what I did. It was a great childhood. I had a, an older brother, older sister, younger sister. So a big family um, and uh, just a lot of fun. Okay. So, so basically, besides um, the beatings with the other kids and stuff like that, the fights, um, your, your, your childhood was pretty okay. So My childhood um, was pretty okay. I grew up, my father was a machine operator. You know, he was a factory blue collar worker. Um, his aspirations for me was to get a job working at the post office or working a government job because it was secure. And to me, that sounded like death. <laughs> <laughs> to me too, yeah. <laughs> but, so it's not like I was born into a family of wealth. We were what they used to call the working poor. So we lived right at the pop, just above the poverty level uh, here in, in the U.S. at the time. So it was hand-me-down clothes, never new clothes. Yeah. You know, I was always getting my older brother's stuff. Always uh, had food, but, yeah. Yeah, we, always, we had food, but it was, it was limited, you know. It was like powdered milk. For some some years, you know, or you know, but it was it's not like we starved or anything like that. People had it much worse uh, during times. People had it much better as well. But there was there was love in my home for sure. <laughs> so um, tell us a bit about your twenties and thirties. So you you said um, you transitioned into the military. Speak about those those times, and maybe you could also share a story or two with us. So yeah, sure. Just, just speak to that. Yeah. So, um, 
it was very interesting. I had no intention of it. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to go into the military. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I barely graduated high school. As it turns out, I'm dyslexic and wasn't diagnosed till later in life. And for those who don't know, dyslexia is a learning disability. That's kind of how it's classified. Um, and uh, I don't know how it is in Germany or around the world, but in the U.S., one in four Americans have some form of dyslexia. Um, and it's oftentimes misdiagnosed. Now, as it turns out, many dyslexics also have high levels of creativity and high IQs, but they're put into a special education class. And so I didn't have, I was always told I'm not smart. You're not going to make much of your life, you know, th those kind of things. But I knew in my heart, that's not true. I knew. <laughs> yeah, right. So when um, I, I was in the uh, at a martial arts tournament and I had heard about that the army was going to be sponsoring a Taekwondo team for the Olympics, I the wheel started turning and I thought, well, maybe that's my way out of my current circumstance. I'll get into, I'll, you know, get onto this army Taekwondo team. Well, as it turns out, the army, um, you had to be in the army <laughs> to be on this army Taekwondo team. I didn't know that. Um, so I took the entrance exam to, the, to get into the military and I scored really high on it. To make a long story short, I ended up getting into special forces, uh, which is the military's elite special operations unit. Uh, most people know them as the Green Berets. Um, and, um, and so I ended up getting into that unit and did really well, traveled a lot. This, I don't know if I've got any real stories to share, except that it was there that I learned um, the power of small teams who believe in the same thing, who have common vision. Um, there's 12 guys on the Special Forces A team. They're all very high IQs, type A personalities, hard chargers, <laughs> um, and um pretty tough guys. And I think when you put that into a business environment, imagine you're sitting around a boardroom table, Hardy, and you have 12 type A personalities. <laughs> what usually happens? Good things. <laughs> good things can happen if you all believe in the same thing, right? But if you don't, it can be pandemonium, right? And so um, I learned the power of small teams when you believe in the same thing, when you share a common vision. And, um, and I just learned the power of camaraderie. When you know that someone's got your back, someone's looking out for your best interest, right? And so I, I learned that. I learned um, about um, pushing through your fears. Fear is a big debilitator. I'm not saying, you know, be fearless because that's not realistic, right? Everyone is fearful. I mean, I've had times in my life where my knees are literally shaking and I don't know that I'm going to be able to stand up. My heart is pounding out of my chest. I feel like I'm going to vomit because, you know, I'm so scared, so nervous. But I've learned when you push through it by taking that first step, you're taking control of your your future. You're taking control of your the legacy that you could leave in life. And all of a sudden, those fears start to, to diminish. And so I always ask myself, and I remind my children of this all the time, and people that I'm coaching and mentoring in the entrepreneurship space, how could life, how would life be if you just push through your fear? Right. If you just leaned into it a little bit more. Because, you know, it's paralyzing when you get stuck in that fear. We've all been there. Right. Um, and uh, we feel like we're damned if we do and damned if we don't. If I lean out, if I, you know, what could go wrong? But that's I think that's a problem with life, isn't it? Isn't it, Hardy, that we we build up what all these problems that could happen mm -hmm. in our life, but they never really materialize. Right. <laughs> so. 
So those were kind of some of the things I really learned from parachuting and doing some crazy things in special forces is just grab onto courage, you know, grab the reins of courage, lean into it. And we can talk a little bit more about this as we go on. But uh, tenacity is really important. Too many people just quit because the going gets tough. There is no successful entrepreneur that I know, none, who haven't had failures, who haven't struggled. Um, And uh, I've interviewed, like you have, hundreds now of the, the world's leading entrepreneurs and corporate leaders and politicians. And the common theme is tenacity. Tenacity eats talent for lunch. There's a lot of highly talented people out there, but they quit. They don't have that. They don't have that um, staying power. They don't have that grit, you know. And I think that's some of the things that uh, successful entrepreneurs have. They have grit and tenacity. They're willing to get bloodied and um, scarred, and sometimes they don't look so pretty, um, but they hang on. Because that's my. There are a lot of people who are much more talented, better funded, but you will not out. I'll hang on until the bloody end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally agree. We had we had some guys like Matt Minero on the podcast. He has, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He has like such a huge company doing like 160 million in revenue. And he basically built his company from scratch with just a folding table and a smartphone. So um, there you go. Right. So (laughs) you got to start somewhere. And um, this is why I'm saying like unless you dig deep, unless you're willing to do the, the, the research behind these big companies, the successful people for every overnight success that's out there, you scratch the surface and they struggle for 10, 15, 20 years to get there before they hit the tipping point where success was finally within their quote unquote success was in their grasp. (laughs) Got it. So um, could you please speak a little bit about like, how did you transition out of the military? Um, Did you start right out in entrepreneurship? Did you build a business right off the gates or just speak to that a little bit? Like, um, yeah. That's a great question. Um, so no, I have always had the entrepreneurial bug. I always knew I wanted to be a business owner and I did, you know, I had small little businesses when I was a kid, I mowed lawns and, you know, I was the kid who would sell candy, you know, I'd buy candy at the store in a big package and take it to school and sell it for smaller <laughs> amounts. I mean, for bigger amounts per, per unit, you know, I was that kind of kid. Um, but I remember looking in the mirror when I was about 13 years old and saying, who the heck are you going to be when you grow up? And it was always business ownership. I didn't know there were, there were no business owners in my family. There were no entrepreneurs in my family, but I knew that's what I wanted to be. So after being in the military for several years, I decided I was going to get out. And um, I thought I wanted to get into the political arena. I didn't know whether I wanted to work in the, in the state department. I didn't know whether I wanted to run for political office, but I knew I wanted to get into the political arena. Um, And, um, so, but I hadn't gone to college yet. Remember I barely graduated high school, but now after being in the military for all these years, learning how to learn, that's one of the important things I think that entrepreneurs need to understand. You have to know how to learn. Um, you need to learn how to consume information. And, um, so once I learned that and realized I've got a pretty high IQ, I thought, well, I can do this college thing. And so I'm going to get out, go to school, um, get into the political arena, in some aspect. Well, my first job out of the military was at as a night auditor. 
at a little here in the U.S. We call them no-tell motels. Um, so I went in at 11 o'clock at night, got off at 7 o'clock in the morning. And these were these little motels where people went and did things they don't want other people to know about. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, paid by, they paid by the hour. I <laughs> uh, got it. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and, um, but it, uh, it paid the rent. You know, I went in at, I went in at 11 o'clock at night and did my work for a couple of hours. And then I studied, uh, for my school work. And then I went to started my classes at eight 30 in the morning. And then I would work out and go to sleep for a few hours and do the whole thing over again. Um, so it was, it was a really nasty little place in what they call the Tenderloin in San Francisco, uh, California. And after being there for several months, though, an investment group came in to buy this place and to renovate it. And it was there that I started getting the, the entrepreneurial bug because the, the managing partner of this ownership entity was only a couple years older than I was. He was in his mid-20s. This was a multi-million dollar investment. He went out and raised the capital. And I thought, well, how the heck did he do that? And so I learned how he, how he did that. Um, and, um, and so when they ended up uh, renovating this property, I was about the only sober person <laughs> on the staff because literally I had, you know, drug dealers and alcoholics, barely functioning alcoholics who were my teammates, my coworkers. <laughs> and so it was really a cast of characters. But um, I was really the only person, even including the ownership group, who had any kind of real-world leadership experience from my time in the military, right? I knew how to lead teams. I knew, knew how to inspire people. I knew how to set a vision. Um, and so um, I was asked to be one of the managers uh, at this hotel, and I was still going to school uh, at the time. And, um, and then Desert Storm broke out. Um, I went back on active duty. Um, this is the Persian Gulf War. Um, um, and after that was over, um, I um, decided I was going to move to Mexico for a couple of years. Mm. <laughs> you know, I was going to live on the beach. All right. So I went in to tell this guy, this owner of this little motel where I had been working, I said, hey, I'm going to be moving to Mexico for a couple of years, see you in a couple of years, because we had become friends at this point. And he said, oh, please don't go. We're, we're about to acquire our third hotel. We need help. And in fact, if you stick around, I'll make you a partner in this company. Now, I'd still not graduated college. OK. Um, and um, so I said, well, give me a, a day to think about it. And I did. And I thought, well, gosh, here's an opportunity. What I'm learning is the hotel industry has a lot of elements that meet my needs. It's got leadership, customer service, marketing and branding, um, finance, uh, team building. It's got all kinds of elements that keep me interested, right? And I thought, I thought well, gosh, here I am in my mid-20s. An opportunity, I have no money, right? Again, I'm working poor family, didn't have an inheritance, you know, was in the military. Um, and I thought, well, here's an opportunity where I can become a partner in a growing hotel company, learn a lot about it, you know, and, um, and maybe build a legacy here. So I did that for about 14 years. But after about 10 of those years, I started realizing, Hardy, that um, although it's awesome, I'm a partner in this company. I was kind of a junior partner. Um, I wasn't the one calling the shots. And I realized at this point, I need to be, step out on my own. And so I think this is one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs need to understand. 
a lot of people have success in one industry and they think they're going to transfer that to another. And oftentimes that doesn't work. I really encourage people, if you're going to be, you know, you decide you want to be an entrepreneur, do an internship in that industry, get a part-time job in that industry, learn about the industry, learn the ins and outs, um, and then um, launch your, your business if that's the industry you want to be in. Too many people don't do enough what I call intel. I wrote a book called Victory. Um, that's a number one bestseller. Great title. <laughs> it is. It is actually, yeah. So each letter stands, it's, it's an acrostic. So V stands for vision, I for intel. So that's one of the things I talk about. You have to get intel on the industry before you decide to launch it, before you decide to launch your your um, your your business. So that was the transition into the, the hospitality industry from um, the uh, from from the military. And um, it's been an amazing journey ever since. <laughs> awesome. So how did the transition like into entre uh, entrepreneurship look like? Like, how did you start your first or, or did you bought your first hotel or did you build the first hotel? Just just speak yeah. to that. And maybe yeah. you could also share the struggles why you, you, you have built the company. And maybe you should uh, you could also share a lesson or two with sure. us. Sure. Yeah. So, um As I mentioned, I was a partner in this hotel company, but it wasn't my responsibility to go out and raise the equity to buy hotels. So I had ownership interest in a bunch of different hotels, and I built relationships with investors. And here's a pretty good lesson. You never know who's watching. You never know who's watching you, right? When I decided I was going to leave uh, my former company and start my own company, Many of those investors and owners said, wait, 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 wait. One of the reasons we invested in this company is because of, of you. If you start your own company, we'll invest with you, <laughs> um, right? And so that was good. And so here's where I'm, you need to pursue excellence in everything that you do. Someone's always watching. The Greeks call this arete, A-R-E-T-E, arete, the pursuit of excellence in everything that you do. How would your life be different if everything you did, you did to an not perfect standard, but an excellent standard? Life would be pretty different for most of us, right? Because most of us, mediocre is good enough. I'm just going to get it done, right? So because of that, then uh, when I left, I didn't know how I was going to start my own company. I just knew that I wanted to. But after I left, I had people approaching me because I had built a reputation of excellence. And even when I failed, even when I made mistakes, even when we fell short of budget in my former company, which happens to everybody, it was how did I respond to it? I didn't hide it. I didn't pretend it didn't happen. I didn't sugarcoat it. I gave the bad news and said, but here's how we're going to respond. Here's how we're going to fix it. And you do everything you can to fix it. That's a great reputation to have. The lesson I learned in the military was this. Do the hard right over the easy wrong. <laughs> It's easy to lie. It's easy to cover bad news. It's easy to blame someone else. It's hard to take responsibility. It's hard to tell the, the hard truth sometimes. But when you do that, people respect it. The sad thing is that it is so rare that people recognize it, right? And so that kind of transition from being a partner and an employee into being the CEO, the one who is responsible, um, in some ways was rather easy because I'm built that way. But the timing sucked because <laughs> I started this company in 2001, For those who don't recall, 2001, there was a global recession. 
In the U.S., there was the, what we call the dot-com bomb. The, all those internet startup internet companies dropped in value. SARS, most people don't remember, which was the avian flu, the Asian flu, where people stopped traveling to the U.S. And remember, all of my investments were in the hotel industry. And so we lost about 45% value in all of our hotels during this period. And then the events of 9-11, mm. right? And so the industry was knocked to its knees. And here, that, that's the year I started my company, right? <laughs> the best so, year, right? Yeah. Perfect, perfect time. <laughs> I am so smart. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, the lesson was I'm going to communicate to my to all of our investors. I'm going to communicate to my team members, tell the truth about what's going on and be tenacious. That year, I knew four of our our management company competitors folded up, and they were established companies. They, they, they didn't survive that year. And here I was a startup, and I think we had three hotels in our in the portfolio uh, that year, um, and we made we got through it. And because of the way sorry, we got... Sorry, um, just for the context for everybody who's currently sure. listening to this episode, like how did you acquire the capital to buy those companies? Was it from the initial investors? They just handed you the money out and you were... No, it's not that easy. it wasn't that easy. <laughs> but, but basically, um, I put word out, you know, I just said, hey, I'm going to be starting this hotel company and we'll, we're going to do third party management agreements, which means we don't own it, but we will operate it for you. And we're going to buy hotels as well. So I did both. Right. Because mm -hmm. I was taking all this experience that I had. Um, and here's one of the things I think that people forget is, can you um, provide services for other people? Basically, it's a done for you program right um and it not be your company and then they pay me a fee so they pay me a flat fee plus they pay me an incentive fee based on profits right mm. and then the other way then i was actually buying hotels at the same time where i actually syndicated them right which means let's say that i want to raise five million dollars i then broke that up into about a hundred thousand dollar increments And people could buy a subscription. They could buy a $100,000 subscription or they could buy a million dollars, 10 of those subscriptions, right? But I had to do a business plan, feasibility study, pro formas, um, and say, hey, here's the plan. But the lesson I learned in this, Hardy, and I, I learned it over and over again, people are going to invest in you or in me more than they're going to invest in that property or that business, You have got to have the goods. You have to have a reputation of, like I said, excellence, tenacity, telling the truth, being an honorable person. I've seen lots of great business deals because people come to me all the time and want me to invest in businesses. I am a judge on a variety of different business plan competitions. And I, more times than not, I see a good business plan, but I don't believe or I don't believe in the person who's pitching it. And so I don't invest. I would rather invest in a um, rather shaky business plan with a great somebody I believe in, somebody that I trust, than the other way around. Because we can tweak the business plan, right? But you can't tweak the character of the person <laughs> that's on there unless they have some kind of total revelation, right? They're not going to change much. But if they're tenacious, they're hard charging, they tell the truth, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on that horse every day. And not on the one who kind of cheats their way through life. So 
anyway, so that was the, that that's kind of how I made the transition from, you know, uh, launching the business with uh, we bought an asset and did third party management agreements at the same time. Does that Got make sense? It. Yeah, Larry, could could you continue with the story? Like you were like uh, you've bought three hotels. Um, you were just yeah. starting out. So how did you grow the company? So um, yeah, yeah, a lot of hustle. The hard thing was at that same time, if I can just be kind of honest and transparent with you, uh, I wasn't paying myself anything, and I went from having a big bank account because remember we went into this recession. Um. I still had ownership interest in a bunch of hotels and in my former management company where I was a partner. And so they were doing capital calls. And for your listeners who don't know what a capital call is, as an owner, if the business can't pay the bills, they go to the owners who say, hey, we have mortgages due. We have payroll that's due. We have all these expenses that are due. You need to come out of pocket and give us more money. So I went from a big bank account where it starts shrinking and I got down to the point where I had about $84 or $86 in the bank. I moved into a oh, rented shit. townhouse. Right. Moved into a rented townhouse. I was married and had about a six-month-old baby at the time and we had no money. I wasn't paying myself, but I was paying my staff and team members, like a lot of startup entrepreneurs. I was putting things on credit cards. My credit cards were maxed out. And... Um, I just saw a text come through from my former spouse, and I said former spouse, uh, and um, she had said to me at the time, listen, I don't know what's going on, but I know you're not telling me the truth about everything. You need to go get a job. And I was like, what? I'm an entrepreneur. I'm unemployable. Who would ever hire me, right? Um, and... Um, And I was acting out in really stupid ways because I was stressed out. And, um, and so she actually left. She took my basically six-month-old daughter. And she said, when you get your stuff together, she didn't say stuff. Uh, she said, when you get your <laughs> shit together, call me. Um, but you need, you need to do things differently. And, um, And that was a real kick. I mean, that knocked me down. And I was really honestly um, feeling like a total failure at that point. Like I'd let her down. I'd let my daughter down. I was gonna, I was letting my investors down. I, you know, I'd never been delinquent on, you know, missing a rent payment or anything like that. I was took great pride in that kind of stuff. And I, now all of that was crumbling around me. And I like literally, 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 Uh, knew about eight CEOs who had taken their own life um, since the crash back then, the, the economic downturn, um, because it just felt like the, the problem is, I think for a lot of us, we tie our self-worth to our net worth. So when we're making a lot of money, we feel really good. When we're not making money, we feel like crap. And we can't do that. We have to separate our self-worth from that. Um, and so I... Back then, I, I didn't. I, I was still too connected. And so I literally pulled out my life insurance policies, did the math, and it was very quick to realize I was worth more dead than alive. Oh, shit. And, yeah. And, um, but thank goodness, for a variety of reasons, um, um, I didn't do that, obviously. Here we are talking today. Um, we turned the corner, but I, that did go through my mind a lot uh, back then. And um, so... Um, 
the lesson I, I guess I'd learned there was persevere, hang on, you know, this too shall pass. Um, and um, it might not be the way I thought it was going to turn out, but it ended up turning out better um, when you just hang on. I think like the world, Gaia, God, our creator, whatever it is that you, however you define, define that, has big plans for us. But you need to be sometimes prove that you're worthy of those big gifts and rewards, right? Um, with, uh, with, I don't know, leadership comes great responsibility. You better be able to carry that mantle of responsibility, right? And there's lots of rewards that, that come with that. So anyway, what I ended up doing is picking up the phone, humbling myself, which is a big thing, I think, for entrepreneurs. I humbled myself and started calling people and say, hey, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but I am in over my head. I don't even know what to do. I called people who are older, wiser, smarter, more experienced than I had and said, I, I, I need help. I need a mentor. I need to get into a mastermind. What can, is there anything you can do, any guidance you can give me? And I was so embarrassed to do that because I felt like, I don't know, I just felt like people would judge me. But what I realized through the process, Hardy, was if someone came to me and said, I mean, let me put it, let me put it to you. If someone came to you, Hardy, and said, I am in the weeds, my life is a mess, I don't know what to do, I'm ready to take my life, or my wife just left me and I need help on business, would you kick him to the curb or would you help him? Even if I don't like the guy, I would help him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right? And I don't know why I felt like no one would do that, but they did. I was amazed at the outpouring of help and assistance. And at that point, I committed to that for the rest of my life, I'm going to either, well, both, I need to have a mentor and I need to be mentoring somebody. And so <laughs> I think that we need to separate our lives and not our lives, but our, our yeah, I guess our lives in thirds. I think we need to have a third of the people that are in our lives who are further down the path than we are, who have more experience than we do. I think we have to have a third of the people that are in our lives kind of that are going on the journey with us. They're at about the same pace as we are. And then I think about a third of the people in our lives, we need to be mentoring. We need to be helping the people that are, you know, who aren't as far along the path as we are. And I think if we separate the people in our lives like that, it's much healthier. Had I done that back then, I wouldn't have sunk so deep emotionally, financially, professionally, right? And so that third thing, separating the people into kind of groups of thirds, I think is really important uh, for us. And so because of that, all of a sudden, miraculously, things turned around, people started approaching us, and we grew very quickly. We grabbed a couple of, uh, or a few more hotels during that next year. And um, and um, we've been blessed with lots of business awards, and it's just been, it's been an amazing journey. Uh, since then but you know it's not like it's been all up you know a straight up trajectory since then there's been ups and downs along the way as well but i learned lots of lessons during what was mo the most arguably the most the darkest time of my life <laughs> so um larry um before we talk about like how did you like what is your best advice for scaling a company and stuff like that like What would you tell everybody who's currently listening to this episode, who's going through those tough times, who's having a, like going the wrong way and they feel like they're stuck in their life and maybe they also have like a bad 
that mindset and and also have those kind of thoughts you've had back then what would you tell them like um okay besides like they should maybe look, uh, look up uh, look up for someone who's mentoring them and um reaching out like what would you tell them like what would be your yeah. best advice i would i think i would say don't believe everything you think um <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one <laughs> We tend to remember all the negative things that anybody ever said to us. I mean, I still struggle with things that my fourth grade school teacher told me. I still struggle with the things that my father told me when I was 12 years old. Still, today, right? Don't believe that stuff, you know? So my spiritual mentor uh, once told me that I've got to be very careful about what I put into my brain. Don't put negative stuff into your brain. Um, and so he made me go on a news fast. So I couldn't watch the news. I couldn't listen to the news. And he said, you can only put positive uh, things into your, into your brain. And so I got very careful about that. So if anyone, anyone was negative around me, I stopped. I said, I only want to hear positive stuff. That doesn't mean I'm not dealing with challenges or problems that come up. But if they started gossiping or talking negatively about someone, I didn't even want to hear it. And so um, there was a, a CD that he gave me by a woman named Louise Hay. It was called 101 Power Thoughts. And all I put in there is positive affirmations about myself, about my life. Um, I started just breathing more. I stopped pushing and shoving. Um, and so I, I realized that the world, the universe is conspiring for great things for, for me and other people around me. If I treat people with dignity and with respect, that doesn't mean I'm going to be a pushover. That doesn't mean I'm going to be wimpy. But... Um, I need to be open to positivity, right? So um, I got very positive uh, during that. And so I would really encourage people, if you're starting out, if you've got this negative stuff in your life, just don't believe it. You have to set up boundaries. Uh, a guy named Darren Hardy years ago told me, he used to be the publisher of Success Magazine. He said, listen, Larry, um, you've got five-minute people five-month people and five-year people in your life. Don't confuse them. Five-minute people might be the type of people, like a neighbor, where <laughs> you say, hey, good morning, how you doing? But after like a few minutes of talking to them, it's like, ugh, like you want to go take a shower afterwards. <laughs> you don't have to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner or to Christmas dinner. You don't need to invite them to your wedding, right? The five-month people are people that you do like a project with. Right. The five year people are people that you go through seasons in your life. Those are people that go on the journey with you. Those are the people that you share deep things with. Right. And so you have to have those people in, in your life. And I think it's very difficult, Hardy, for men in particular to build those bonds with the five year people. So I think we need to take the risk, be courageous, build relationships with those people. But you can't get there until you at first Somebody's got to be the first one to say, I'm scared. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm nervous. Whatever it is, somebody's got to get vulnerable first. And what do you find in a relationship? When you get vulnerable, what happens to the other person? They're given the permission that they can get vulnerable as well. Or if someone takes that first step with you and they get vulnerable, then you feel safe and you can do the same thing, right? Now, you don't do that with everybody, right? So that's why I would encourage someone. If they're feeling the same way, um, then don't believe everything you think um, and um, put positive stuff in your brain and just get real with people. Let people know how you're doing, where you are, what the, what the journey is. 
Awesome, awesome advice. And I, uh, particularly, um, I like the, the news diet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 the news Stop putting that crap in your head. Yeah. <laughs> um, Larry, um, let's talk about, like, how would you or personally, what would be your advice for everyone who's listening to this episode? Like, what would be your advice from going to one or, or from zero to one million and from one million to ten? What yeah. would be your best advice for everyone who's listening to this episode? Yeah, it's a big picture strategy, right? The yeah. big picture principles, yeah. Yeah, I think you need to re realize, first of all, what is your role as the CEO or the business owner is. And I think the first uh, rule is this, is that you have to be a problem solver. There's a reason you're in business, right? You get, you're solving some problem, right? So that's the product. Um, but when you start to grow a business, even up to a million dollars, is whether it's a million dollars, $10 million, or $100 million, When I was going to uh, the executive program at Stanford, uh, I had a professor who said, in business, there are four problems. Everything you do in business boils down to these four problems. You have people problems, product problems, process problems, and profit problems. Everything in business, and frankly, everything in life, falls into those, those four problems, right? Now, if you think about it, though, this is kind of where I took it to the next level. If I have a profit problem, if I have a product problem, I have a process problem. You know what I really have? <laughs> I have a people problem. problem. Yeah. They're all people problems. So my advice would be is whether you're trying to scale your business, you can't scale your business until you scale you. You mm. need to be a better version of yourself at a million dollars than you were at startup. You need to be a better CEO and entrepreneur at 10 million than you were at a million dollars. If you are actively working on yourself, getting better, learning how to problem solve better, then you're going to have people problems. You need to be an excellent communicator. I, I think that if you're going to be a transformational leader, you need to be a master storyteller. Because if you're telling stories, you can talk about your vision. You can talk about what you, how you want the product to be, right? I mean, that's one of the things, the good or the bad about Steve Jobs from Apple, because he was a jerk to work for, but he could tell stories. He could cast a vision. He could get people to subscribe, right? Even in some pretty harsh work environments, right? So I would really work on yourself. So you got to have a mentor. You've got to do stuff like this by listening to this podcast. Um, if people are listening, then they're committed to this. They're trying to learn, get better, right? You have to commit to lifelong learning. I see this happen over and over again, Hardy. So that's a, I'm so glad you asked this question because I see people, they get to the million dollar mark and they were like, ah, I've made it. And they stop <laughs> learning. I'm there. Yeah. Dude, You're just beginning. Are you kidding? <laughs> Because most businesses never make it to the million dollars. They, they don't. Worldwide, most this is, a, this is a world that is run by small, tiny micro businesses, right? It really is. But if you make it to that million dollar mark, you're just beginning. You're starting to get, get into the elite class. Now is the time to lean into the learning, right? Because then you think about the global impact that you can have. So people, product, process, and problem profit. They're all people problems, I think would be number one. I think that you need to forget if you want to move from startup to million dollars, you're going to have failures along the way. You have to embrace those failures. Too many people keep thinking, oh, I keep making all these mistakes or we keep failing at this stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have to do what's called an after action review. After you make a mistake, you have a failure, you look back and you say, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? And how can we move forward? We have to reframe this 
word failure in this concept of failure, failure is really just that necessary struggle called learning. It really is. And the truth is that learning fuels preparation, right? When you learn, you get prepared. When you prepare, that fuels courage, right? Think of it, if you've ever been in a, in, a, in a sporting event and you know you've trained really hard, you feel prepared. When you feel prepared, you feel ready. You feel like I'm ready to go into the, go into go into battle. And when when preparation fuels courage, courage changes everything. When you have courage, you're willing to step into the gap. Because I hear I he see so many people who are afraid of success. They're afraid to hit the million dollar mark. They start playing these stupid movies in their head about. How am I going to do it? How am I going to go from a million dollars to 10 million? I don't know how to lead people. I don't know how to build teams. I don't know how to go out and do financing. Big deal. None of us did when we were first doing it. We're all learning, right? So if you have a mentor, they will help you along the way, right? So just know that we've all stumbled through it. We're all just figuring it out. Um, but um, you're not going to go from a startup to a million if you don't have a mentor. And frankly, what people listening to this podcast, you're their mentor, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to have somebody. It, it's preferable if you have somebody you can pick up the telephone or send an email or a text to, to you know, it's one on one. But you better have some kind of mentoring relationship uh, with, with people. And even if it's just pot, listening to, to podcasts, becoming a better version of yourself, that's key. It's so important. Now, the, 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 your, your last sentence, um, to scale a business, you have to scale yourself. I will still remember this quote in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great saying, yeah. Um, Larry, at the end, I always ask like five personal questions. Um, but um, could you please tell everybody where can they work with you? Where can they find you on the social webs? I think it was a fascinating, fascinating um, interview today. But um, yeah, just tell everybody where can they find you on the social web? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Instagram is really the primary place where, where I hang out. Um, and it's just at Larry Broughton. Uh, that's where you can find me. My website is uh, thelarrybroughton.com. B-R-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Uh, thelarrybroughton.com. Um, and from there is all the other different businesses th that I've got going on. But just if you find me on Instagram or LinkedIn at, at Larry Broughton, you're, you'll find plenty <laughs> right there. <laughs> so um, the first out of the five question is, um, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> books that had the greatest influence on my life. Um, all yeah. right. Let's see here. So I've got a, uh, a list of 101 books that I think everyone must read. Um, so let's see here. I think, um, most influence on my life. <laughs> All right, well, business is an important part of my life. Uh, I'm, I know I'm going to screw this, screw this up, but I think that the book good to great is a, a book. Every entrepreneur needs to have, um, it's by Jim Collins. Um, and he, uh, taught at, at Stanford. Let's see here. Um, the alchemist. Yeah. Great book. Great book. It's a great book. And um, Man's uh, Search for Meaning. Oh, yeah. By Viktor Frankl is another powerful book. Um, He's German, right? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well. So I think th those are three really good ones. But um, hey, if, so, if people want this list, do you mind if I give, a, give people a gift? Sure. 
if you find me on social media or you send me an email through that website that I talked about earlier, um, uh, you, you can find my email address uh, through there. And to say, hey, you mentioned 101 books. Can you send me the list? I'll send you that list. Awesome. <laughs> and I encourage everyone to also buy like Victor Frankl's Search for Meaning. It also had a deep, deep impact on my life. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. um, the second <laughs> so the second question, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? The three movies? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, let's see here. Well, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that Rambo had an impact on me. <laughs> because <laughs> that movie came out the year that I went into Special Forces. Um And so I still watch it today and laugh because it's so not realistic. <laughs> But that that was a good one. Um, let's see here. What have I in movies mm -hmm. I've enjoyed the most? Um, gosh. Um, I don't know. There was a movie. It's an obscure movie called Flicker. Flicker. Um, yes. Um, and I think, I don't remember who was in it, but it was about a this kid who was an albino basically and was an outcast and um, who had an impact um, uh, on, on the world. I, I kind of like these uh, underdog. Uh, movies, <laughs> right. Uh, so that was a, that was a powerful, Oh, here's another one. Billy Jack. This is an old movie. Billy Jack. Never Billy heard. Jack. Billy Jack. It came out in the seventies. Um, it was not a very good movie, but it was a powerful movie. It was about a old, Vietnam veteran who was this peacenik um, and um, who was uh, fighting the establishment, again, fighting for the underdog. Um, and so th there's probably a theme here. I, I like, do you know the story of David and Goliath? Have you heard this story before? Uh, Goliath was a, uh, this is from the old biblical. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Goliath was the giant. Story. David. Oh. Yeah. Sure, so sure. I, I, I like the stories of David. I like the stories <laughs> of the underdog. I like the stories of, you know, defying the odds. And my thing is everyone cheers for David. No one cheers for Goliath. So that's <laughs> probably the theme in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the third question is, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Product or service? Product the most useful. Yeah, the most useful product or service. Well, I use a lot of apps uh, for productivity. Um, and so I'm always searching for different ones. But the one that seems to, for me and the team, um, is uh, processing uh, apps. So Slack and yeah. Trello um, and Evernote seems to work really well for us because as we grow and scale, we've got people in different locations. And so communicating effectively, and if we have people that are working on one project in remote locations, Things like Slack and Trello really help us with those. And I think we've seen productivity go up. Oh, one that we've been trying out lately is called Basecamp. Basecamp? As well, yeah. And that's kind of a similar uh, project uh, management tool. <laughs> so um, the fourth question is, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their family or their business, about health, time, anything um just speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today uh recent realizations yeah the most important oh yeah 
Yeah. Um, this might sound a little esoteric, but um, I, um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. I don't think I've actually said this out loud. Um, although I believe in um, always becoming a better version of myself, the other side of that is I'm good enough. I am good enough. I deserve good things in my life. I still beat myself up that, um, well, let me back up. I think that a lot of uh, successful people, quote unquote, successful people, um, have a little bit of, we're plagued with paranoia. <laughs> like we don't measure up. We're not good enough. There's always someone who's chasing me. Right. Um, and, um, uh, my spiritual mentor that I mentioned earlier also said to me, you know, Larry, you're an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. And I think we've all got to be that a little bit. You've, we've got to believe that we can do things when other people are telling us that we can't. And sometimes we've got to feel like we're not, there's always someone who's breathing down our neck, right? And that plagued me for a long time. And I think there's some truth to it, but also I'm deserving, I'm good enough. Um, and um, so that's a pretty, and I cut myself a lot more slack now than I used to. So that's kind of a, a, a realization uh, that, I, that I've had. Um, and um, I, I guess, um, I'm sorry that I'm stumbling, but I just don't want to, I'm on the verge of emo getting a little yeah. emotional because I think that <laughs> love, love is one of those things that is, is underestimated. Um, and I think that people assume because I was in special forces that I don't love deeply, but I think that as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as CEOs, you can see from the teams that they lead who's feeling loved and who is not. I think you have to love your team. You have to love what you do. You have to love your clients um, if you're going to make an impact in your life. And so the deepest realization that I've had, I'm sure, is that if you want to live a life of success, you have to stop chasing success. If all you chase is success, it will lead you off a cliff. Success is the byproduct of living a life of significance. So you must live a life of significance. L serve your community, serve your family, serve your place of worship, serve your clients, serve your team members. When you do that, success is the byproduct of significance. So seek significance, not success. I love this. So um, the last question for today is, and I'm already a bit sad that we're ending this conversation. So <laughs> I'll come back. <laughs> I will take you on your word. <laughs> so um, the last question for today is, um, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Oh. <laughs> um, a, a lot. For one thing, I'm sorry. Um, get real. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to other people. Um, back then, I was so concerned about how people viewed me, right? And although I was had this tough exterior, I'd say um, uh, lighten up, enjoy life, laugh more, have fun, don't be so afraid. Um, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Um, and um, I, I, there's this thing that we get caught up with when we're 20. It's called the omnipotence of youth. We think we know everything. We get it all figured out. When we don't, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, but what advice do you have for me, right? 
when I was 20, I was really trying to prove so much to so many people um, instead of just being a sponge and learning as much as I can. I felt like my life was almost over at 20. The truth is at 20, you're, you're just at the edge of the runway. You've got a whole, your whole life in front of you, in front of you. Enjoy life, laugh a lot, learn a lot. You don't need to figure it out right now at 20. So stop pretending that you do. <laughs> um, Larry, what an amazing, amazing, amazing episode. Thanks for sharing your life story, your advice, um, your unique insight into so many things. I think you have everyone who currently or who have listened to this episode. Um, yeah, thanks for very, very much for being on the podcast. I hope that everybody got a tidbit of information from it that they can, uh, some golden nugget that they can apply to their life. <laughs> 100%. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. God bless.